Today we gather around some symbols. Some symbols that uh, do not have power, but they represent all the power known to man, known to the universe. It's not a riddle that you need to try to figure out. It's really a symbol that, uh, that we carry deep inside of everything that we hold in the faith of the Christian faith. And it's on which everything center pivots around. And, and again, I can't emphasize enough that the symbol itself doesn't have the power. The symbol represents tremendous power. Just like the wedding ring that I took off and put in my gym bag. I am married. I am a married man. And uh, I realized when I got here this morning that, where is my wedding ring? And, I, and it's like, it's in my gym bag. Uh, so anyway, it's one of those things like, oh, no, people, what, what, you know, it's like, no, it's just a symbol. Okay, Lori is still my wife. She's with her grandmother in the hospital today. Okay, so we're still happily married. Isn't that good news? Uh, the, the, re, the reality is, though, but it's a symbol. It represents something. And I want, I want it on, and I feel strange without it on, but it's one of those things that it's a symbol. This today, we have six stations gathered around the room. It's a symbol of a very powerful event that happened to a person that breathed and walked and talked on this earth. And it means something to you and I, in which everything about Christianity, about, about life, and for me, everything that I've been about for all my life uh, has center pivots around this one event that is so absolutely critical. If you have your Bibles in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 and 20, be finding it. I want to start reading um, a verse that I just really can't get past this morning. It, it broke into song. It broke into memories. It, I just can't. And I went to sleep last night literally praying this verse over various churches around around Northwest Arkansas, just praying verse 19 again and again. The last thought I had before I went to sleep was praying this verse. Therefore, brothers, talking of a plurality of people, talking of a community, talking of more than just me, brothers, since we have confidence, assurance, boldness, awareness, the ability, the strength to enter to enter the holy places. Now, there's a lot to unpack in that, and, the, and we'll get there in just a moment, but just that alone should pique something in your mind, that the confidence that we have as a community in this room today, we can go into holy places. Why? How? What's the magic? What's the key? What's the combination? What's the password to get in? It's not password either. It's, well, how do we get in the holy places? By the blood of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus. By the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain. That is through His flesh. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God. As we look at this passage and and we think about symbols and we think about by the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. Let that be the, the thought that consumes you, that transforms you. By the blood of Jesus, everything about this whole, the brothers that he refers to, this community that we call church, all of that is built on, made by, established on, sustained by, gives us confidence through 
to enter into the holy places. The church, we as the church, is through the blood of Christ. I wish, you know, and I think about the blood of Christ, I think about children in the room, and I think about what they may be hearing and thinking about the blood of Christ. You know, I wish it was daisies and rainbows. I wish it was something a little bit more pleasant than somebody crucified on a cross and bleeding. But it's going to be through the blood of Jesus that we're going to, as a church, come together as a church. It's what makes us a church. It's what makes us a body of believers that follow Christ. It's everything. It's the secret sauce, if you will, that makes up who we are as the church. And we've talked about who we are for several weeks. And it comes back to that center pivot around the blood of Christ today. That we are an authentic church for those who have given up on the church but haven't given up on God. That's a cute, twite, twitty kind of statement that you might say out there. But it has some power to it whenever you apply. The blood is what brings us together. The blood is what makes that happen. We exist, we say, because we encourage authentic worship of God. I mean, if God's going to send His Son, His only Son, to do what He did and to suffer as He did, then that's a pretty big thing. And I think if He's going to value me, put worth on me, that He would put His only Son on the line for me, there's, He's putting value on me. I'm worthless without Him, but He's putting value on me, then I'm going to turn around and I'm going to put value on Him. He is worthy of my worship. We exist to help that, to encourage that, to promote that. We also exist to, and this is kind of where we're going today, to promote a transformative community for one another. But everything about this whole transformation, about community, about one another, everything is built on the blood of Christ. Brothers, let us, community. Really, what he's speaking of is we're going to look at this passage. You're going to hear this phrase, let us, let us, let us, three different times. Brothers, as he speaks to the brothers, and I've already pointed that out, he's really calling it, he's calling the church to an attention here. He's calling us as followers of Christ to attention. Hey, hey, because of the blood, this is the effect of this. And I, and I know that because when you look at the book of Hebrews, and the book of Hebrews is really a first century kind of apologetics book. Now, if you don't know what the word apologetics, it's not how do you say I'm sorry a bunch of times. That's not apologetics. The apologetics is the ability to really give substance and validation and credibility to the faith. And really what Hebrews is, is again and again and again and again, a number of times he goes through and he says, hey, since this, 25 different times it's translated the word since in the English Standard Version that he says since this, since this. In fact, here's a few of them. Since the message declared by the angels proved to be reliable. He's giving a defense for the faith. Since this, okay, chapter 4, verse 14, since we have a great high priest. There's a result, there's a cause and effect since this, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 12.1. What we look at today, chapter 10, verse 19, since we have the confidence. See, what, what since is doing is tying two thoughts to a conclusion. It's bringing them together. And he said, because this has happened, we now can do this. There's something that's a, a residual effect out there. And what Hebrews, the book, is doing is really validating Jesus. 
because of Jesus and because of what Jesus did, because of how Jesus lived, since that has happened, now there's a residual effect on our lives. Now, the problem is that some people don't experience the residual effect because they keep Jesus at arm's length. They test him, they try him, they, 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 they try him on for size, but they really don't let him penetrate into their soul and their life in the way they live their life. And that's where we come today. We're not just here as a building to call ourselves Grace Point Church. We're here prayerfully, hopefully, to be a transformative community, doing it one another's with one another's and becoming stronger because we are and better because and humanity is better because we are a church and we're acting and living as a church. And so what 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 the writer of Hebrews, and we don't really know a lot about the writer of Hebrews, but the, what the writer of Hebrews does is he comes out and he says in this kind of three collective, cohortive, kind of present tense uh, statements, he says, let us do this because of the blood. Let us, because of the blood, let us, because of the blood, a third time, let us. And they're really almost like invitations. Because you have, if you have, experienced the life-transforming power of the blood of Christ, let us. There's an invitation. Let's, let's look at these invitations quickly today. One invitation because of the blood of Christ is let us experience the intimacy with God through Jesus. He invites us to an intimate relationship. This is why we're not a religion. This is why, and I know we may be categorized that and we may be put on surveys that way, and I'm okay with that. But in, in reality, we're not being called to a religion. We're being called to this deep, intimate relationship with God through Jesus. It's very, very important that we get that down. And so let's, let's look at the first invitation here in verse 22. He says, let us draw near. With a true heart in full assurance of faith. With all our hearts sprinkled clean. I love that statement. From an evil conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. I love that statement. The fact that we can draw near. With a true heart, full assurance of the faith, sprinkled clean. And he, he, notice that he says, of an evil conscience. See, evil doesn't start with our actions. It starts inside of us. It starts when the lie is embedded in our hearts and our mind, and we manipulate the, the truth to be able to speak the lie to hopefully not get caught on the other end. Okay? The lie was actually probably not the worst part. It was the thinking and the conjuring it up and the, the meditating on it and then enacting it. That's when we start, you know, it started back in the heart. Is it started back in the conscience. It started back inside of us. But there's something that happens, though. Because of the blood, I'm going to keep coming back to the blood. Because of the blood, we have been sprinkled clean. Let us draw near. Let us get close. Now, I found out something this week in my studies that I just absolutely am blown away with and I absolutely love. This word, draw near. Let me read you what, 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 what one lexicon said. It says it's a reciprocal 
relationship between persons. This phrase, to draw near, is a reciprocal relationship between persons. Every time it's used, it gives the idea of a context of a relationship, and it's reciprocal. I am with you, and you are with me, and I am drawing close to you, and you are drawing close to me. We have this reciprocal relationship. See, in reality, there is mutuality in relationships, if it's a healthy relationship. If, if, you, if you reach over to hold someone's hand and they pull it back, what are they trying to say? No. I don't want to hold your hand, all right? There's mutuality when it comes to relationships. We hold hands. Uh, they hold our hands. We hold their hands. And, and if they draw their hand back, then they say, listen, I'm not over being mad yet, okay? Simply holding my hand is not going to get it done. There's got to be mutuality in relationships. Um, I, I, I thought back to a, a, a mutuality situation when I was growing up in elementary school because there was this one girl I liked. I liked her all through elementary school. We got to junior high. I still liked her. And we became friends. And you know her statement was to me? Oh, we're just, say it, friends. We're just friends break my heart. I can't mention their name because she still lives in the area, okay? <laughs> Not that it's any, it was a puppy love situation. Lori has no, nothing to worry about. Uh, the, the, the point is, is that there was not mutuality. Jesus went to the cross. And when Jesus went to the cross, it was him proposing to you. It was him not getting on one knee, but getting up on a cross and saying, I love you so much. I'm going to give my life to you. And because I've given my life to you, I've spilled my blood for you. I've redeemed you. I've forgiven you. I've made a pathway to salvation. I, you, you can live with me forever. I'm going to prepare a place for you forever and ever and ever. Amen. And I'm, that, that, that's something I'm inviting you to if you receive me then you can be, we can be one and we can, you draw near because Jesus first drew near to you. It's an intimate relationship. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, he said it like this. He said, draw near to God. And what will he do? He'll draw near to you. So think about your relationship today. If you're not drawing near to your wife, men, okay? If you're not drawing near, then you might not expect her to draw near to you. And women, likewise, if you aren't crossing the line and being able to reach across the wall that may be being built right now in your marriage, then guess what? It's going to be hard for him to reach across. But who does it first? Who's the one who gives in first? That's, the, that's what I want to know. No, 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 no. Stop that. Look what Jesus did. He proposed to you and I. He wanted to enter into a relationship, an intimate relationship. There's also security and serenity with God through Jesus. There's intimacy with God through Jesus, but there's also security and a serenity with Him. There's a tension always with, um, with being creative yet holding to values Changing but not changing. Willingness to adapt but willing to hold on to what's valuable. 
when we started Grace Point, we, we, I wrote this Jerry, I call it my Jerry Maguire moment out in the middle of Africa. And it was whenever I was out there writing, what is Grace Point? What are we going to be? What are we gonna be? What, what's it about? What's God put on my heart? And I'm just writing it out. And it's called the Grace Point Difference. And we actually have it online and it's out there and you can read it for yourself. But one of the things that we say in there is that, that we will embrace change. We will embrace change. At the same time, I knew that we needed to hold to certain things. And that's the invitation to us today in verse 23. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. There's something that we hold fast to in the midst of a changing society, in the midst of a changing culture. There are some things that should not change, don't adapt, don't shuffle around. And there's this faith, there's this confession, there's this conviction, there's this creed, there's this, this, the belief that we have in Christ that we really want to hold to in the midst of changing. We don't just change the moral codes because we want to change the moral codes. There's something that we got to stake in the ground, believe in. And that's a part of the invitation is that Jesus invites us to this firm, solid foundation that we can build our lives on. As Jude 1, 3 says, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all to his holy people. We have been entrusted with it in this generation. What will we do to pass it to the next generation so is, a big, is a big question here. Now, I may not want to gr- believe in gravity, but gravity is a natural law. It's a law. It's out there. I can try to fight against it. I can push against it. I can try to get, convince Congress to pass laws against it. I can try to get the Supreme Court to uphold it. And I can do all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, it's still a natural law. There are certain things that I don't change because I didn't write. And I accept, but I build my life on it. And when I do, I find security and I find serenity. It gives me hope. Let me read that verse to you again. I want to go back up to verse 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. You want to have hope in your life? You want to have something solid in your life? Hold fast to something. What are you going to hold fast to? I think you need to learn, and I need to learn, fine-tune, being able to hear God. Listen to God, discern God, walk with God, obey Him when He leads. Don't fight against Him. Don't push against Him. Listen, you want security and serenity in your life? You want something solid in your life in the midst of storms? And storms are going to hit you, man. Everyone that I just prayed for in the beginning of my message is a true story of somebody I had a conversation with today. Cancer, job loss, heart surgery. The list can go on. Everyone then who hears the words of mine, Jesus said in the last part of his Sermon on the Mount, and does them. Hears, does. Hears, does. Hears the words of mine, does them. Will be wise. Will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Pretty solid, pretty secure. Serenity, security is built in hearing and knowing God. Here's a, here's a real simple math formula. Write it down. Hear God, obey God. What's the results of that? Stability, strength, success, serenity. You can go on and on. 
You're going to have it. You choose off. You, you, you go off another way. You, you try to build your life on some other confession out there, some other belief out there, some other ideology, some other philosophy out there. Well, get ready. You're going to be in a, a, a heap of mess. Here's what it says in, uh, in uh, Matthew 7, 26, just a few verses later. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And you know the rest of the story. The rain comes, the wind blows, and there is a great fall. Here, here's, here's my hypothesis. I think there's a lot of people who struggle with discerning the will of God. Just hearing God. In fact, I want to ask you that question right now. Do you struggle with discerning and hearing God's voice on a regular basis? Because He's talking. And then obeying Him. On the first Sunday in October, just two Sundays from now, I'm going to start a series of messages that I'm, I'm excited and fearful at the same time about. Called Voices. Just the reality that there's so many voices. The voices of our past, the voices of our present, the voices of our future, the voices of our family. There's so many voices in us. Can we cut through the chatter, the static? Can we cut through all of that and discern His voice? And are we willing to obey it? Even if it's something radical and off the chart, building your hope on it. You can do that through the blood of Christ. I want to have a good friend of mine. You know him. No, nobody knew he was going to come to the stage. Oh, I can tell his story. I, I have known him long, four years. But I, this is a man of God. He's a friend. He's a pastor. But long before he was a pastor, he sold printers for IBM a number of years. I want, Randy, would you come and share a little bit about your journey to where you are today in hearing God's voice? Yeah, so before I ever knew anything about Grace Point, I was working for IBM, worked for IBM for 31 years uh, in the same place in Tulsa. Life was good. Um, retirement wasn't exactly on the horizon, but it was on my radar And then I got downsized out of my job, which caused then a crisis of belief moment for me. Did I believe what I said I believed about God? Could I trust God? How do I know what God's will is? And I'm not going to drag you through all the details of this 12-month season But there were about four things that I learned during that season of my life that have shaped the last four years and certainly will shape the next, however many that God gives me. The first thing I learned is that God is always at work around me. And he invites me to join him. And he's going to do anything he needs to to get my attention. See, I was, I was doing a lot of good things. I was, I was leading mission trips, and I was teaching Sunday school classes and, and that sort of thing. But, but God knew that if, I, if he didn't stir me out of my comfort zone, that I would never do all that he had planned for me to do. 
hold in my hand a, a daily devotional book entitled Experiencing God Day by Day. I have used this book and read through this book for the last 15 or 16 years. And it's not just because I'm a creature of habit, but because God has used Henry Blackaby's reading of, uh, writing of this book to, to speak to me in different seasons and different times and in different ways. And during that season, not, not very many months after I've gotten the news I was downsized, he said, uh, I read this, it said, uh, the most dramatic changes in your life will come from God's initiative, not yours. So think of Abraham and Moses and David and Mary and the disciples. He said that the Lord may be initiating some new things in your life, you think? When he tells you what his plans are, trust him and he will walk and, and walk closely with him. So that's the first thing I learned, that God was working around me, inviting me to join him. And yeah, he got my attention. The second thing I learned is that God will speak and make his will known to me if I put myself in a position to hear him. Now, I believe my experience is that, that God speaks through many different methods. He speaks through prayer. He th- speaks through scripture. He speaks through circumstances. He speaks through the counsel of godly people. A few months later, after I read that first uh, devotional that I read you, I ran into this. It said, don't avoid the impossible. The key difference between what appears to be impossible to us and what is actually possible is a word from our master. Faith accepts his command and steps out in a direction that only God can complete. If you will proceed with what he's told you, no matter how incredible it might seem, you will experience the joy of seeing your Lord perform a miracle, and so will those around you. So that was from the devotional book. A couple months later, Isaiah 55 verse 2 jumped off the page to me. In my daily devotional, I was just seeking what God would have. And he said, and, the, and Isaiah 55 says, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? I took that to mean as, what are you doing with your life? He says, listen, listen to me. Eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. So the second thing I learned is that God will speak. The third thing I learned is that when God speaks, it's going to require a major adjustment on my life, in my life. You know, I had a job offer that was going to pay me more than coming to Grace Point was. And when it enabled me to stay in Tulsa and I could have kept doing the same things I've been doing for years. But by the time that job offer came, I knew that God was calling me to Grace Point. For me in that season, obedience and comfort could not coexist. If I was going to be obedient to God, I would have to be uncomfortable. But the fourth thing I learned is that God's plan is so much better than mine. When I look back over the last four, four and a half years or so, I'm reminded of what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3. He said, Now to him who is able to do incredibly more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory. Can we know God's will? 
We think of God's will as something mysterious. But can I tell you that what I've learned is that God's will is discernible if we learn how God works and how God moves. And when we're obedient, it makes all the difference. You know, I, I said I hadn't known Randy until four years ago. We grabbed lunch at Tuscan Trotters off the square in Bentonville and uh, met him for the very first time in the midst of his job layoff. And I have never been with somebody who in the midst of having what some would call a rug pulled out from under you after being loyal for so long and all that kind of stuff, be so at peace, (laughs) so serene. Can I use that word? So secure in his future. What a draw near with confidence in the hope. You, there's, there's this hold fast to this thing that we've got here that, that, that is built on the blood of Christ. And, you know, I, I learned so much just talking with him and walking with him over the, force, over the course of those, of those years that I, my faith grew stronger. And here's the beauty of this. And, and I'm going to come and develop this even more in just a moment. But here's the beauty. Is there was a community aspect that I was growing as he was sharing his life and interviewing for this position. And then I thought about Jesus when he was with his disciples in Mark 4.34 when it talks about that he explained everything privately to his disciples. You know, they're, 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 Jesus was in a small group. Jesus was hanging out with some guys. He would preach to the masses, but he would get privately and he would pull it apart layer by layer and make sure that they really got it deep down inside of them. And I want to encourage you, whatever it is, you're going to have to learn to discern and obey his voice. I invite you, but I'm not going to twist anybody's arm and I'm certainly not going to try to talk anybody into it, to join us beginning October or even tomorrow morning. I have a group of men I'm meeting with. Uh, there's other groups, 15 different groups that are launching around experiencing God. This is what he referred to. This is what I refer to so often. It's 13. And listen, it's not for the uncommitted. It's 13 weeks of commitment. I encourage you to think about how sure and confident is your foundation moving forward. Three invitations. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast to the confession of the hope. Number number three is we're invited to be a community with one another through Jesus. The blood of Christ brings us together. It's the common ground. Listen, no man's an island. You've heard that phrase before. If you're an island... You live on an island. You live like an island. You live in separate... They're going to start talking to a volleyball and naming Mr. Wilson. All right? Some of y'all are not old enough to even get that. But uh, don't live on an island. Don't live in separation. Don't live in isolation. Find community. Get community. Get connected. A healthy community. It's what brings us together through the blood of Christ. It's what happens. Verse 24. Look there. Let us... Third invitation. Let us consider... How to stir up one another. I like that stirring up with somebody. You have to stir a pot. 
Here you go. Here's your, here's your verse for that, okay? How to stir up one another. But it's not just stir them up to anger. You stir them up to love. You stir them up to good works. Not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. I want you to see two times in two verses, he says one another. He calls us to community. He brings us together. See, what happens whenever the blood of Christ is, comes and penetrates all of our, our soul and our life, we come together into a one another kind of community where we can do ministry together, stir one another on to love and to good works. We're going to have this hope in action, hope in WA kind of day in a, in, in a few weeks. And really what that is, is that's trying to stir you on to love and good works. Let me just give you a picture of that. We're going to do in one day what we do in one week with our kids. We do in one week a, a, a day camp that we offer and your kids go to it and our kids enjoy it and all that kind of stuff. But what if we did it in one day? For foster children. That's what we're going to do. That's just one of the things we're going to do. We have a whole list of things to do. I invite you to be a part of it because why? Because we just need help? No. You don't want to be here? Keep your attitude somewhere else. We don't want you here. But if you want to be here, you say, hey, I want to be stirred on to love. I want to be stirred on to doing good. Yes, I invite you. That's what we want. We want people to be stirred on. I want to stir you up. Sometimes it's my job is to afflict the comforted and sometimes it's to comfort the afflicted. It varies from day to day. I, another thing, you know, this, uh, why, do we, why do we take an offering around here? Why do we take an offering around Christmas time? We take this big offering and, and we spread it around the world and we do different things with it. One of the things this year, I'm letting you know this in, in advance, okay? One of the things that we're going to do with the offering this year, a third of it, come Christmas time, is we're going to take it and we're going to send it to the other side of the world. The Baptist Global Response has got this tremendous work that's going on. You've heard of Sierra Leone, right? Sierra Leone, you've heard of Ebola. 2014, all the people killed, thousands upon thousands killed. Guess what? It left behind in Sierra Leone alone 340,000 orphans. Good news, bad news. Good news is Ebola is gone. Bad news, the effects are going on. Families without parents, children without parents. There is uh, an agency over there, again, Baptist Global Response is who we're working with that has worked with a a, a group that has started an orphanage. It's, It's only helping a few, but it's helping a few of Ebola orphaned children. And their goal is to get the children back into society, back with their families. We're going to take a third of our offering and do that. We're going to even maybe send a team over there if we can get it all organized to work with and to help the children that have lost everything. Why do we do this? Is it just because we like to ask people to do things? No, because we're supposed to stir one another on to love and to good deeds. Bill Beck, who's in our last service, shared the story with uh, Caleb this past week about last time we had a Hope in Action Day. He said, I met a group of men. We worked on a project together. And to this day, which is about four years later, we still do one another's with one another. See, there's something that happens when you start giving and you start serving with one another's. You become one another brothers and sisters. There's a bonding that can happen there 
if you let it. Stir one another on. We do life together. Listen, everybody that I shared this morning about I did not seek them out. They sought me out and told me about what happened in their week this week. The thing is, the sad thing is, in a room this size, two services, this many people coming in and out, this happens every week. And this week, it may happen to you or the person sitting next to you. And all of a sudden, life collapses in around them. Remember that verse I read about a while ago? The big storm, the winds, the blow, all that kind of stuff. Big fall happens. Some will make it, some won't make it. That will be a sad day. But here's the beauty of the blood. It brings us together. It connects us together. So that it says in verse 25, not neglecting the meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Oh my, Lord, we need encouragement, don't we? And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Don't neglect meeting together. Together, it says in the New Living Translation. Don't neglect it. Coming together, being together, being community is what happens. We want to promote, we want to promote transformative community with one another. How does that happen? You just kind of have a magic sauce. You just kind of rub it down and it just kind of happens. You got some pixie dust. You kind of blow it out and we just have this transformative community. No, it happens because of the blood of Christ. That's the secret sauce. Come back to the verse that I cannot get away from. I've read it. So many times, like I said, I prayed over it, over pastors, over churches before going to sleep. It was the last words in my head last night, and it was the first words on my mind when I woke up this morning. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood, and if you don't get that imagery enough, by the new living way he opened. It's the key that unlocks the door that gets us into the holy place to connect with God, to be united with God, to be united with each other. I know I wish it was something less grotesque. I know I wish it was something not so gruesome. I know that it, but Hebrews makes it clear if you've got a fast pen, jot these down. Hebrews 9, 12, 9, 14, 10, 19, 10, 29, 12, 24, 13, 12, 13, uh, 20. If you got that, you're a miracle. It's a miracle. <laughs> Every one of those verses refers back to the blood of Christ in one book having power in our lives. Sitting on the back patio this morning before coming, I thought of the old hymn by Robert Lowry, a pastor in the East in the 1800s, writing hymns to try to get his church to sing that would match his messages. 1876, he wrote a hymn 140 years ago that we still sing in our churches today. If you were to look at that hymn in a modern day prism, you would see it looks much like a praise song. It has one phrase that it it, it says nine different times. It says it again and again and again. People have always given praise songs a hard time because they're like 7-11. You sing seven words 11 times. You know, here's a hymn. Nine times you sing the same phrase again and again. Just two chords. But it ends with, every time, nothing but the blood of Jesus.
Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I want us to read this together. I'm going to read the light print. I want you to read the dark print. And then, Andrew, you may be in jeopardy of losing your job. I'm going to lead us in singing (laughs) the last, the little refrain, okay? That will be a miracle in itself. Um, Let me read the light print. You prayerfully read the dark print. What can wash away my sin? What can make me whole again? For my part in this, I see. For my cleansing, this, my plea. Nothing can for sin atone. Not for good that I have done. This is all my hope and peace. This is all my righteousness. Sing with me. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Sing it again. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm going to ask that Matt just kind of get us started in that. And then he'll fade out and it'll just be us. And I just want our hearts remembering the blood and being thankful for the blood because it's what draws us to an intimate relationship with God. It is what gives us a certain and sure and secure and serene foundation. It is what brings us together as community. Sing with me. Oh, precious is the flood that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Father, it's your blood. It's your blood. I wish it wasn't, but it is. It's your blood. And enables me to connect with the people in this room. It brings us from different races and ethnicities and languages and peoples and socioeconomic. It's what brings us together. 
It's what holds us together in the storm. It's what draws us to you in this reciprocal relationship of you giving all of you and me giving all of me and drawing closer and closer and closer and closer daily to you. Lord Jesus, thank you for the blood. And I pray in this time as we pause and we reflect and we take this time of Lord's Supper or communion and we reflect on it, it is a symbol. It doesn't have power, but Lord, it represents so much. It represents so much. I want you to finish the prayer time. This is your time with God. When your heart is ready and you are right and things are, God gives you the peace, you're invited to come to one of these tables. There's six, seven of them stationed all around the room. Just take a piece of bread, take a cup, Step to the side. Come kneel the steps here. Come move over to the side. Take a seat wherever. Go back to your seat. Go, come as an individual. Come as a family. Come as a couple. Come as a small group. There's even pastors and deacons that will be kind of hanging out near the tables. If you want somebody to pray with, they're there. If you're here today and you've never experienced the power of the presence of the Spirit of God and experienced the blood of God, through Jesus, I want you to pray a prayer something like this. Dear Jesus, I give myself to you. I want to receive the power, washing power of your blood over my life and my sin. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And you just put your own ending in that prayer. And then you stand up and you come with confidence to one of these tables, not because you are confident, because the confidence is in the blood of Christ. This is your time. Respond when the Lord leads you.